0: Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, welcome back and welcome back me to McLaughlin at Work, all about management, leadership and employment in the workplace. We've got two exciting presentations for you today. One is um, off a forum that was held recently in New York City under the headline of the Duncan Leadership Institute, which is a new training facility being established by Melba Duncan in recognition of the need for, response to a need for, training, education, preparation, and recognition for the role of chief of staff or Executive assistant or executive manager, whatever the title may be, to the senior managers of an organization, uh, the C-suite, sometimes referred to, office of the chairman, the CEO, the president. This is a role that has come to greater prominence, not only in the White House, perhaps uh, because of it, the importance of it, but also. Within every organization of any size, of any means, and frankly, ones that work best, are often attributed to the individual or small cadre of individuals who hold that organization together. They are the spokesperson for, and they are the monitor of, and they are the guardian of time and effort and efficiency of the senior executive team, very often the CEO. And I'm talking about those mostly or often women who have achieved a certain role in the organization by virtue of their performance, their trust, their capability, their competence, and their all-encompassing knowledge about some very certain aspects of the interactions and people dimension associated with a smooth functioning organization. So in a sec, I'm going to introduce Melba Duncan, and we can hear her comments from that particular uh, forum and pave the way for the future of the Duncan Leadership Institute, and you'll hear more about that here on McLaughlin at Work. The second and important interview is with Joe Jaffe. Joe, somebody who's been known to me, he's a marketing genius, and he'll tell you what that means. His book, Flip the Funnel, Joseph Wiley, The Imprint, How to Use Existing Customers to Gain New Ones, The Importance of Retention Over Gaining New Customers, Joe Jaffe is a superb marketer. He talks funny cuz he's from South Africa. But he has a edge on things, an angle on this business that in his third book, Flip the Funnel, you'll want to hear about. But first, first Melba Duncan. A friend, a colleague, and somebody who is launching a critical cog of knowledge, of training, of education in American business. A little bit of introduction, and then Melba. All here on McLaughlin at Work. Thanks for joining me. Well, one of the things that has struck me over the last few years and leads to the discussion today, and what we're going to ask you all to help us, is really thinking about thinking and a lot of the neuroscience work that has been done, we really know now, are beginning to see how, how we think, or more appropriately, how the brain works. And it has a lot to do with this crowd and what you do, because thinking is part of moving ahead in, in your particular profession, because not only do you have to think for yourself, but you have to think for somebody else. And that's a, a major issue in today's business world is whether people are actually giving thought to what they do. What we want to achieve today, self-serving with you, is to understand what you know. And then to understand what you think you need to know but don't know at the various points in your career. And then as Melba will get into, we want to help develop A curriculum, a teaching curriculum to the extent that it can be caught. Norman and Tom are here to help us with that today. Um, To determine how we can better the profession of Chief of Staff and Executive Assistant, because in spite of all the technology, in spite of everything that is going on, it's one of the last remaining real pieces of people business. And it will not go away. It will change as it has changed, and many of you can Uh, pay vivid testimony to the fact that it has changed. But the reality is that it will not go away. Assistance of this kind is not going to be replaced by a tablet or an iPad. And so it's important for us today to understand what you know, what you don't know, and how that potentially can be taught, and Melba is going to get into that in a minute. Melba Duncan.
1: That allows things to happen with or without your consent. It's just that I know Paul very well, you see, so that's okay. Uh, But for me, the professionalization of this role is what I am all about. Most of you know that I've done this work before, so I'm starting from a vantage point of understanding what it takes to get an executive into a space that makes him or her function i know what that takes when i listen to what's out there and what's said about this role it is confusing it is complicated no one can really define it i'm in the recruiting business they don't know if they want a personal assistant a professional executive assistant any old administrative assistant an executive manager which is a title we use a chief of staff but no one can really define what that role is. And until it's defined, it is not a profession. And in order to get there, requirements clear, stated, have to be put into place. So let me take a few moments of your time to tell you what I think about how we get there and what this movement is all about. The world is changing and tough economic times require focus. They require execution and the ability to innovate. The search for new ideas is the new business model. New ideas, new thinking, new ways of managing and doing what we have always done in the past are now being demanded that we upgrade those skills to different levels. Now executive assistants are expected to focus on results, to think like managers. When I use that word, everybody looks at me with you know this glazed overlook. Managers, leaders, but that's who you are and that's what you do at your level. Managers and leaders. They want you to maximize efficiency and have excellent analytic skills and the tenacity to reduce complexity to simplicity. All right, that's not a tall order, we can do it. You've done it before and you continue to do so. Assistants will have to both get it right and think the right way. New learning is an imperative. There's no way to avoid it. Thus, the idea for an academic skills-based instu- educational institution is born to prepare assistants for their best performance and best opportunity. Let me take a moment. Anyone who's comfortable, comfortably engaged in a position right now, you are comfortable, you enjoy the person you're working with, you see a life there. Something happens that changes that. The executive leaves that organization and you step out into the workplace and you try to duplicate what it is that you've had before. There's a whole new learning that's gone on while you have been nicely taken care of in your environment. There are a lot of assistants out there today who are not really hireable, not because they're not good at what they do, but they haven't moved up to the level of performance that is now being demanded, not expected, It is being demanded. So on behalf of executive assistants everywhere, we recognize that learning is an imperative. And because of this, we are launching the Duncan Leadership Institute. Leadership. Everyone says that's confusing. I say it's not. Understand what it is we are communicating to the workplace. Understand that we're saying we offer management, leadership, tenacity, the ability to understand what executives need before they need it. We have new learning that needs to take place. So leadership is in fact the real tone of what it is we want to create in this institution. Exploring the questions in our forum, what's new? We're gonna talk about that here. What's new, what's next, and what's better? Will help your ideas to generate for us what we need to build our curriculum. You're gonna help us to create for you the educational program that you need to advance yourself in the workplace. To bring this to a level where when you say, I have graduated from the Duncan Leadership Institute, I'm a certified graduate, you don't have to argue what you know. You don't have to argue your value. You don't have to argue your worth because that will all be contained in having gone through this program. So it is important then that we continue with these forums, that we continue to have this dialogue because you're actually helping us to help you. It's not a selfish relationship. Everything works off, every, everyone works off everyone else. And what you generate for us in terms of what we need to know is what we can then create in terms of a curriculum that's responsive it might be good to bear in mind that the general principle that has always occurred in this role and that I think will be consistent is taking care of the needs of the executive. That's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. But what you're going to add to that is the ability to make decisions, which you're doing now, but to make more complex decisions where you will understand the interconnectivity of what your decisions mean throughout your organization. It's much more of a global perspective. Executives have had to learn how to live in a global world. Well, assistants have to do the same thing. And you can't learn it sitting behind a desk because all you're doing is getting them from one point to the next. And that's what you're learning. You're learning, you know, I can get this flight and I can get this car, but there's a lot that's in between those two activities that unless you really have a function and a functional way of understanding how to relate to the world at large you will forever be doing a to b equals c and i'm saying there are many steps in between that so it is important then to think about learning as a present thought going forward the opportunities that abound that are, that are uh, abound for you and by the way this is not one way this is for the executive as well this is for your HR group to understand that it's not just about learning software, which is important to know. I'm not, I'm not by any means discounting advanced technology as an ideal, but that's not what it is about. It's about thinking. It's about being able to use what you know and what, you're lear- what you've learned to manage a process at a much different level. It's about being able to join an executive at a meeting if you work for someone who allows you to do that. And to understand, not just to sit there and take notes as we did years ago and then come out and transcribe them and track people down to get them to finish the project. It's not that. It's to have you sit in on a meeting and come back later and say, you know what, I think this is a better idea because X, Y, and Z. And because you understand the global community in which we live. And then you can afford to offer a different level of business experience to the executives you support. So HR, when they're looking for someone, will get a double person. They will get the assistant who supports the executive with no complaint whatsoever, and you do it brilliantly. And you're the spousal interface, and you're the kids, and you're the car, and you're everything. All that stays. What I'm now doing is adding to that. So when HR hires you, they get that level, but they also get the thinking part of it. They get the person who's gone through a formalized program of understanding economics, partnership, what the role of partnership really means, business relationships, of understanding how business trends manage to land at your desk and how those decisions are made, understanding a global world and what that means, understanding how to work with different cultures and what that means. Knowing that you have the ability and the capacity to make decisions on behalf of your executive because you are educated to do that. You're not doing it because it's a whim. You're not doing it out of emotional response. You're doing it out of clear understanding of business goals. If you take a moment and think executives are always encouraged to take these two-week programs, these weekend programs, you go to Harvard, you go to Stanford, and you. Well, why not assistants? Aren't you the individuals who are getting these executives to those programs? And they come back advanced in their skills. They come back very much aware of what the world is all about, and you are still there doing a great job, no doubt, but with limited business knowledge because there are no courses that I know of in the past 10 years that have moved this profession forward, nor will it be recognized as a profession without an academic training program that certifies that you bring a level of knowledge that you just didn't have ha- happen or without, without planning. When I talk to assistants and I say, why did you choose this as a career? A career, this is a job. And I literally wanna jump out of my chair because if this is a job, you're not talking to me, because you don't understand the world that you are stand, you're stepping in. And those who say, well, I've just happened to fall into it, Melba. You know, I just kind of am organized, and I fall into it. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear it's because I understand economics. I understand leadership. I understand management. I understand what it's like to live in different countries. I can meet and greet people from around the world. I can communicate with ease. I have platform skills. I can walk into a room, and I can absolutely make a statement about what it is to be a professional. Not that I'm only dressed right, but I can speak the part. And I can go toe-to-toe with anyone, if need be. Being clever is no longer the, a- the answer. We've all used these skills, we've all used how to negotiate our way out of circumstances or into them. But now being smart is the reality. And being smart means that we have to create for ourselves what we need. No one's going to do that. No one has your vested interests at heart except you and me. Because I want to see this as a legacy not just for those of us who are in this profession now, but those who are on their way into it. And I want to see that this become a profession so that others from different pathways, from other careers, can actually step into this and see it as a viable opportunity for a successful working life. I'm not in any way diminishing the value of helping others. That's what this role is all about and that will always be a very strong message of contribution. But enough with the contribution, because you will never get paid what you're worth for contribution. It's not tangible. What's tangible and what's measurable is what you have learned and what you can show by experience and knowledge that you bring to this role and how that executive life has changed because, you know, the way to communicate value is through the people you work with. The easier their lives become, the more you can step into higher level of decisions, the more you know about the economy, economics, the world view, a global view. The more you read and understand and and extrapolate information that helps you to advance your career is the better their lives are going to be. And trust me, they will pay for it. They need not pay now because there's nothing really new. You're good. You're excellent at what you do and you look great. But you've got to bring more than this. There's a new demand out there. So I am urging us all, together as a group, as we do these forums. Thank you for the help of Alberta, because it would not happen without you. And those of you who really have been behind us in opening this idea and bringing it more into the future and talking about it and going back and talking to your companies and to others you know about the viability of this role, because you know what, it's not going away. It's been here since biblical times. But it's now moving to a different level, a substantially different level that requires a level of ed- education that everyone who wants to advance in this role, I believe, should entertain as a possibility in their lives. It's going to cost you one thing, time. But you have to argue for time for yourself. We talk about this work-life balance thing. I don't believe in it. I think it's, it's an excuse but you know there's a whole communication out there about work life balance i need to know what i should know what i need in my life to balance my life i like to learn so for those of us who like to learn and like to read and like to do different things that's my work life balance but for those of us who want a career that is recognized as a career not a job i want that is my work life balance so helping us to bring this to a reality is what's very important and, I, you know, in, in ter- I'm going to wind down now. I think my time is up. I can't believe I spoke for 10 minutes ad nauseam. Um
0: <laughs>
1: But it is to say, you're wonderful to be here. And this, I'm not ending it yet. But it is also to remind you that we need to build a curriculum. We need your help to do that. We need to advance this role. You need to be paid what you're worth. You need to make sure you stand in the space of being a professional. I'm going to turn this over now.
0: DePaul. Thank you, Melba. Thank you, Melba. Always a pleasure. And if you want to be in touch with uh Melba, why don't you try it through me? McLaughlin at Mac.com. M-C-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N at Mac dot com. for the Duncan Leadership Institute coming up in May in New York. And you may want to uh you may want to uh, wish to attend. So if you st- be in touch with me, I'll make sure that you get on to that uh, mailing list. Again, my email address, the easiest one, McLaughlin, that's M C L O U G H L I N, at mac.com. Now we move on to number two our interview with Joe Jaffe. Flip the funnel how to use existing customers. To gain new ones. All here at McLaughlin to work. Don't forget our good advertisers, our good supporters, the good folks at Classroom24-7. Another training element for those who need certification as well as part of their training. Classroom24-7 is a way to get that done. Be in touch with them. They can help you with your needs. Web training online. Joe Jaffe, flip the funnel. As I've reconnected with him, I re- recognize that Joe and I go back a number of years, and I'm going to use this excuse to get to flip the funnel. How to use existing customers to gain new ones by talking about Joe's path, past, and the path that it took to bring us together in New York. Joe, delightful to see you again. Let's recap. Where were you when we first met? You've done three books give us the overview and then let's get right into flip the file
2: well I guess I you know I am a marketer always was a marketer always will be a marketer as I sometimes say I'm a proud card-carrying member of the marketing fraternity which is which is great except for the fact that marketing has become a little bit of a joke uh, in terms of its credibility and in terms of its uh, influence in the boardroom and in the c-suite but when we met um, I think I'd taken a couple of nibbles from the forbidden fruit of digital, the, the tree of knowledge. Uh, once you take a bite, once you discover the truth, there's no, there's no way of going back. As I often say, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, it's time, it's time to put on clothes and get a real job. Um, you know, The thing about digital is truly then, today, and, and certainly forever, is the ultimate and the consummate transformational platform and tool. And, and I was just getting into digital, um, recognizing that never before in the history of marketing had companies or brands had so many incredible opportunities to connect with their customers, with their consumers. Now, when you, when you, went, when you say at the beginning, um, when, did, when did digital first register with you?
0: Because you rode the wave intellectually and as a practical matter, three books. But when, what would you date as the time when you recognized that digital was different from analog and that it would have a profound effect on a number of aspects of business life?
2: Well, you know, I, I mean, I've always been a bit of a gadget guy and a technology guy, even going back to being a kid in South Africa and, uh, and always having the latest computer and always recognizing that there was a better way of doing business. Um, I even go back to uh, lugging my mom's electric typewriter um, from her from her coin shop in South Africa home to do my projects for school, uh, and and recognizing that this eight, eighty pound beast was so powerful because you could actually delete one letter at a time, you know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and it's I'm a not, miracle. you know. And and look, I'm 39 years old. I'm not exactly, you know. I, I I'm 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 still young enough to 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 appreciate. Um, what life was like before technology and digital, but also um, you know live in it uh, squarely, 100% immersed in it. But I think you know. Then I worked for a fast food chicken company called Nando's Chickenland, which you may remember now when we spoke about them. And you know, it it it, it likens it, it brings me back to something that a strategist once said to me, which is which is more interactive: a coloring and sheet on a McDonald's tray table or a web banner. So interactivity. Uh, you know, the, the power of two-way was really a part of me from the beginning. And and I think sometimes we get a little bit distracted and, and mossed by the bright and shiny object syndrome. Um, but certainly, you know, coming to the U.S. in 1997, um, you know, the early days of Earthlink and, and Prodigy and, and AOL, recognizing that this was just an incredibly transformative uh, opportunity for marketers. And so back in those early days... Um, I think it was obvious to me, even when I worked on IBM at Ogilvy, or when I worked on Ernst and Young, or Procter and Gamble, DMBNB, or even, you know, in the early Shy Day days, uh, TBWA Shy Day, where I was an interactive strategist. It was obvious to me that the path to the future had to, had to, you know, take all of us across and through the digital bridge. And without it, there was absolutely no way to get to the future first. Period
0: and um you've written 3 books and they probably are bookmarks on the last 10 years tell us about what the first 2 were before we get to flip the funnel
2: they are and uh you know the first book was called life after the 32nd spot written in 2004 but published in 2005 i'm going to come back to that in a second the second was join the conversation which which came out in 2007 and now flip the funnel and you know as i said in an interview yesterday I try and look for the the common threads and, uh, and and what these three books have in common, and there are a few. Uh, one aspect is change, another one is innovation, and the third one is optimization uh, and ultimately, look, there are certain scarce commodities and 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 scarcities in the world attention, time and budget, especially in today 's recessionary times. So in my first book, I talk about really optimizing budgets. From the three colours of the three primary colours of television, radio, and print, to another ten that I introduced, one of which was interactive, one of which was search, one of which was mobile, one of which was consumer-generated content, brand entertainment, so on and so forth. So now we're we're moving from three to thirteen colours in Crayola's big box of ninety-six colours. In the second book, I talk about a whole bunch more. Options, blogging, podcasting, you know, the, the beginnings of social media, um, social networking. So maybe let's say we're from 13 colors now to about 33 or maybe 43 colors. But I talk about optimizing from communication to conversation, recognizing that it's not really up to us to initiate, to start, to control, to dominate anymore. That oftentimes... When you say us us being companies, brands, marketers, even small and medium-sized businesses. The push versus pull. Absolutely, but another idea that you know, as I said in the second book, there are millions of conversations, alive, flawed, human, uh, transparent, credible, uh, emotional conversations going on right now, isn't it time we joined in? Isn't it time we recognize that the wheel is already rolling? Not only do we not need to reinvent it, we need to just figure out how to jump on that bandwagon before it leaves us behind. Now, in the third book, I take it one step further. And that's the
0: book we're discussing today.
2: That's right.
0: And the, the author, before we go too much further, Joe Jaffe. Flip the Funnel, How to Use Existing Customers to Gain New Ones. Um, And you can describe that, but there are parts that you talk about here where um, the bullets of the colors. Come back for a second to Crayola. You said there are many colors. You've woven that into a company, as I understand.
2: Well, I, I actually formed a company called Crayon based on this metaphor that really was threaded throughout the books. Um, and I actually sold the company about a month ago um, to a company called Powered to launch the industry's first full-service social media agency with scale. But, you know, going back to the idea of colors, etc. now what I'm saying is it's time to do the final and the ultimate evolutionary optimization, which is optimizing from acquisition through retention. So just to kind of, uh, you know, close on... We the have a m-
0: general audience, so I want to make sure you don't get too far into market speak. Uh, when you're explaining this. So when you say optimization, uh, pulling people in. Well,
2: I'm gonna, in the simplest of terms, Please. to think about reallocating and redistributing our priorities, our strategy, our vision, our budget, from acquiring customers to retaining them. Instead of, you know, as I say in the book, there's no point in fishing if your net's full of holes. But just to finish the thread, You know, the idea of optimization from acquisition through retention, at some point I realized that, you know, deciding which colors to use in the box of crayons might just be akin to rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. And so I came out with this point, which is, I don't want to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. I want to build a boat that doesn't sink. I want to be the sharpener at the back of that box of crayons now. I want to build a better mousetrap and that's what I think Flip the Funnel brings to the table. How? Well, you know, the first thing is the obvious point which is, which is retention is the new or retention as the new acquisition. So this is not, you know, as I talk about in the book, this is not your grandfather's customer service. This is not crm customer relationship marketing loyalty marketing retention marketing Uh, this is not about that uh, this as a passive defensive strategy this is moving all of the above into the front office from the back office to the front office this is about elevating it to a strategic imperative to the point where it becomes an offensive proactive and very dynamic strategy This is not just about treating customers well. This is not just about giving best-in-class service. It's about being able to harness the power of influencer outreach, the power of of word-of-mouth, the power of community activation, the power of content creation, conversation, and what I call commendations, in other words, referrals, to be able to build businesses from the inside out, to be able to grow a customer base via the existing customer base because who is the most credible influential person out there well it's you and and by you I mean the person I'm staring at right now but also everybody listening it's your neighbor it's your mother it's your colleague it's somebody that you trust it's somebody just like you and there is nothing more credible than another customer especially one that has a great superior customer experience as an
0: aside but taking advantage of remembering when we met, and perhaps over the last 10 years, although it was uh, probably was about about 10 years ago, just prior to Y2K. When you view where we are in this great uh, transformation, uh, this isn't your last book, so Flip the Funnel is not the final discussion, When you talk about social networking, and I notice in the jacket, flip the jacket, it says uh, outlines the real role of social media, and that's in in the color, kind of a yellow or mustard color. Um, What inning are we in by baseball standards, not South African perhaps, um, what inning are we in in the development of this movement that you see? It's not clear whether there's another train gonna come in to the station, or if we miss it now, we're really gone. What inning are we in? And then I want you to take us to what people ought to do when they're overwhelmed.
2: Right. Well, uh, great questions. Remind me in case I get sidetracked and I don't answer <laughs> the two, because I also want to talk to you about the three hypotheses in the book, which address okay. the real role of social Why don't
0: you, media. do you do the inning part?
2: I'm going to. That's where I'm going to start. And I, and I will say that even though I am uh, originally from South Africa, Um, I have become quite a baseball fan. Um, So it's a metaphor that that I have no problem with. Uh, I realize this may distance uh, and alienate myself from many listeners, but I am a Yankees fan. Uh, So sorry about everybody north and east uh, from where we are right now. Well, you don't Um, have to worry
0: about the World Cup being in South Africa.
2: uh, Exactly. (laughs) I'll be there too. Um, So, you know, I'd like to be able to almost... um, you know I'm gonna to have to check myself and not be uh check my rhetoric and and I'd like to say we're we're in warm ups uh and maybe we're top of the first but i think I think maybe we're at the end of the first and uh, uh and I'm gonna invoke a, a very painful memory which is Johnny Damon's grand slam against the Yankees that is that essentially killed the entire game and almost destroyed the yankees literally after the first inning that's probably a good analogy because even though we're we're essentially we've just finished the first inning uh the damage has been done for some companies for some teams you know to use the metaphor for others it's still zero zero and every there's everything to gain and everything to lose but i think in the why i why talk about that specific analogy it's absolutely early. But for some companies like United with United Breaks Guitars, like Toyota with all the recall information right now, like Domino's with the two rogue employees that created a, a series of disgusting YouTube videos that did a lot of damage. Um, we've seen how two rogue employees or one really irate or frustrated customer can do millions of dollars, if not tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of damage to a company. And that would be the, the Johnny Damon grand slam mm-hmm. in a sense. So, you know, I created an acronym that I sustained throughout all three books. And it's an, it's, it's an intentionally, all my acronyms are intentionally ironic. This one is called cost, because of course there's cost and there's investment and there's cost and revenue and there's also cost and opportunity cost. But this one stands for cultural organizational, strategic, and tactical. And right now when it comes to social media, we are squarely 95% of the industry in the T of tactics. We haven't yet moved social media upstream to a point where it becomes a strategic imperative, to a point where there is organizational process designed to deliver against it and fulfill against it and certainly to the point where it becomes a cultural imperative. So that's... Now is is that because the customer is out ahead of you guys? Uh, A couple of reasons. One, because, and I think you spoke about being overwhelmed. um, It's because change takes longer than we ever think. It's because of resistance to change. It's because of politics. It's because of bureaucracy. Uh, It's because as human beings, we're hardwired to resist change. And certainly companies and departments are organized, quite frankly, I mean, quite simply and literally into silos. Into vertical special specialities and and capabilities and and we still struggle to play nice with one another inside and outside. we still struggle you know one of the new rules of customer service that I wrote about in the book is the paradox of customer service, which is the lower you go down in the corporate totem pole, the more valuable and more invaluable I should say the interaction is between employee and customer, and the more accessible as well. You don't see the CEO of a company talking directly to his or her customers, and when you do, it's Jim Lentz, you know, it, it's crisis communication mode, and it's typically not very personal. It's typically a full-page ad in the newspaper, but it's, it's that stereotypical target uh, or target cashier that is ultimately the face and, and, and the embodiment of the brand. And Much it,
0: like a call center is,
2: Absolutely, as an, as an example. Absolutely. And, of course, we all know that you know, our outsourced call center in India are the most highly paid employees in the organization, not. You know? right. And there you go with that paradox.
0: Um, okay, so you, well, I want to keep your thread going here. You're talking about the three elements in the book, yep. and, the, and you wanted to address the innings. So we're, we're very early on. So we, we may not have even seen what would be the explosion. We may not have even come to the point where we have three men on base and a, and a hitter ready to hit. Maybe uh, to some extent, having read Ken Aletta's book about, uh, about Google, you understand, appreciate the corporate culture in Google that allows them to break all the rules. And I, and I think that's, that's something along those lines. It's like the, um, it's almost like the uh, onside kick for the Super Bowl is so out of the way, it works because it's such a surprise. So do you anticipate that at some point in here, coming back to your three points in mm. the book, Flip the Funnel, that we will have a, a, a real explosion where something very dramatic is going to happen in the fourth or fifth inning that
2: will reshape the game? Well, the, the, the onside kick is actually a very appropriate metaphor, except that B- business today, big business in particular, brands, established brands, are the Indianapolis Colts, and they're the ones being caught with their pants down. They're the ones being caught on the receiving end, surprised by the challenger, by the upstart, or in this case, you know, by the underdog. So it's a very good uh, analogy, I think. The tipping point that you're alluding to um, may very well come through the power of. Um, I- in the book, I. I flip AIDA, which stands for awareness, interest, desire, action, which is the traditional marketing funnel, and and very literally I create ADIA, which is AIDA flipped, which stands for acknowledgement, dialogue, incentivization, and activation, and and it's that activation, it's the ability to build um, self-sustaining, independent, thriving, self-fulfilling, if you will. Uh, communities, communities that have a certain scale. So maybe that's the tipping point, which is when you have a million or 10 million or even 50 million customers that you can tap into at a moment's notice, the evolution of permission marketing, the evolution of opting in. But the fact that not only that community is accessible, but that community is interacting with one another, that community is interacting with employees, there really is open and always on full access, that might be that fourth or fifth inning moment where pretty much the game is out of reach. But let me go back to those three hypotheses, and they're very simple. Number one, retention becomes the new acquisition. And, and it's very relevant because in every one of these cases, that might be actually that, that tipping point that you referred to. Because when retention can become the new acquisition, do we really need to invest in acquisition at least at the levels we used to? So so the reality here, you know, I, I, I went back... Or to, or
0: to take your point, perhaps, that the uh, reten- new acquisition comes from retention by the, exactly. by the interaction of the social media so you don't have to sell well, to that's new the people. Point. Yes. Th-
2: that's the point. And anecdotally, let, let me give you a quick um, anecdotal uh, piece. Well, actually, I've been talking to a bunch of marketers, and then I'll go back to the, the thing with Wiley. Um, you know, we know, and marketing... Uh, This is not anecdotal at all, that it costs between 5 to 7 times and sometimes people say 7 to 10 times more to acquire a new customer than it does to retain an existing one. That really means that the cost to sell one more widget is 10 times more expensive when we have to get that through a new customer, an unaffiliated customer versus an existing one. But now what I've been doing is I've been playing with the new metric, which is really a cost per referral or the cost per acquisition via retention, which is exactly what you just said. And anecdotally, what I heard the other day is that it's about two thirds cheaper. So it costs two thirds less to acquire a new customer via an existing one than it does to acquire one uh, through Traditional existing incumbent channels. Now, what we played with Wiley was this idea where we're almost going to do the gold star. <laughs> now, when <laughs> you, know, you say Wiley, that's
0: your publisher. That's my publisher. Right. We're going to. published all three books, so y- you were talking with them about this.
2: Right. You really are a, a great radio guy because because I'm basically, even as a podcaster myself, <laughs> I've been doing it since 2005. I still make you know, the cardinal sins of radio, which is to assume that, that listeners know what I'm talking about. Or so, that
0: everybody knows how important Wiley is in, in, the, in the pantheon of, and, and I should point out, as I point out to most authors like yourself, you've written a book. This isn't another itself a dramatic issue because it's not terribly interactive, and uh, maybe you can address that as well. So yeah, it, I it's will, a little bit of a paradox. That, I, you know, Joe Jaffe, who has come as far as you have come, Intellectually and being in the mainstream uh, of what is happening, and you've written a book,
2: right? And, you're and selling a book, okay. Please remind me to come back and not only talk about why I wrote why I wrote a book yep. versus a blog, which I have as well. Right. Uh, um, number one and number two, what I a- what I actually do to activate the book and bring the book alive, Great. because I do do things. Come back into specifically. Wiley. I will. So so we were going to go with the gold star call out, which is double your revenue, half your budget. And, and, the, and, the, and the reason we didn't go with it in the end was because I can't prove that, but at least aspirationally and theoretically, flipping the funnel will allow us to double our revenues whilst simultaneously halving our budget. And, and that is at least, that's, that's, you know, that's the finish line. That's at least the goal that we're trying to achieve. But so number one is retention is the new acquisition. Number two, customer service becomes not a, but the key strategic differentiator. The difference between winners and losers will be based on customer service. In a day, in, in a day and age, in an era where the four Ps, the marketing Ps of product, price, place, and promotion, have become commoditized, that which differentiates one company from another, my belief, will be customer service, and nothing else. And then the third to your point earlier, is that the real role of social media is retention. As I say a little bit irreverently, um, the phrase social media is in fact an oxymoron, or maybe the real morons are those that are misusing it. So using social media to try and acquire new customers, to establish awareness, interest, desire, and action, to use it for traditional or in traditional uh, ways to achieve familiar and traditional goals, might be doing all of us a huge disservice in the process. So the, so those were the three hypotheses um, that I kind of you know, talk about and, and outline and elaborate on through the book.
0: Come back to the point you wanted to make about why you've written the book.
2: So, you know, it, it, it's important because I think, you know, one of the um, one of the there, there are a couple of problems with the market and I'll kind of, you know, I'm with the market, with with business, uh, with business okay. in general. And, uh, you know, I, I like to kind of describe myself uh, by the old adage, which is I don't discriminate. I hate everyone equally. <laughs> so so the problem is, you know, you've got a huge cluster of businessmen and women and marketers that are fixated on the bright and shiny object syndrome that are always looking for the next big thing that are that are you know that are enamored on the what comes next and and not fully utilizing the opportunities that are literally sitting in their lap at any given point in time, um, you also have another problem, which is that people look at that which is new as being a panacea, a cure all and they completely um, you know, neglect or abandon uh, fundamentals in terms of um, ways of doing business. So I try and reconcile the two. So I may have just actually spoken out of both sides of my mouth, which is intentional, which is to say, I am not saying in the first book that the 30-second spot uh, will be completely or should be completely um, extincted or, or, or done away with. I am saying that it needs to change. I'm not saying in the second book that communication isn't important at all. And I'm not saying in the third book that acquisition marketing at all should go away. So when you put the traditional funnel and the Non-traditional funnel together, you almost have a bow tie. So imagine a traditional funnel that goes from, from wide to narrow and a flipped funnel that goes from narrow to wide. Put them together and you have a bow tie in a sense. It's the same reason why writing a book that can be used as a paperweight or a doorstopper or hit somebody over the head. Sometimes people need to be hit over the head. Makes sense. And the fact is, if I'm looking to talk to senior marketers They are most likely gonna be reading books. They are most likely not going to be reading blogs. I've gotta find the balance. Some will be reading blogs, I blog. Some are gonna be reading books, I wrote a book as well. So I think it's, it's recognizing that there needs to be a balance. There's got to be, you know, to come back to the first point that we discussed, optimization. That's why I wrote a book. Now, how am I keeping the book alive? I'm doing many things. You know, you can, the book lives on Twitter, and the book lives on Facebook, and the book lives on flipthefunnelnow.com. And I'm going to start now, at-
0: Let's Let's start with it lives on Twitter. There are a lot of people who are not on Twitter that that do not understand its value and frankly it's it's it hasn't become a flower yet uh, it's probably becoming that I think it started as a weed and maybe Shaq O'Neal was as in, in some of the uh, the entertainers were as important to it and now it's become a, a necessary business tool
2: right and it, it also may be done in by the very same Shaq and Miley Cyrus and A and, plus uh, K which is Ashton Kucha um, that kind of got enamored and then realized wait a second um, it was for a while it was nice to circumvent um, our friend uh, what 's his name um Levin from t m z and uh, and the national enquirer and actually get to you know ab- get to basically share with uh consumers and fans. Um, what they were doing at any given point in time, rather than having it scooped or misread or misrepresented. But now, um, as Howard Dean found out, sometimes too much transparency can be just as bad as too little. And uh, so I actually think that we've got to be very careful um, how many eggs we put into the Twitter basket and even the Facebook basket as well. But I always come back to remember the bright and shiny object syndrome. Right. There's that one. There's a wonderful saying which is, "Don't look at the finger, look at where it's pointing." And uh, in this case, I'm not talking about flipping the bird. I'm not talking about that finger. Right. I'm talking about recognizing that what Twitter is telling us, and it's telling this to us really, really clearly, is that the pow- it's the power of real time. It's the power of community, and it's the power of customer service. And when you put those three together, you almost have a perfect storm. If I've got a question, if I've got a problem, the fact that I can get an on-sell resolution within seconds or minutes is transformational. The 24-hour autoresponder, the your call will be answered in the order it was received, the automated frequently asked questions or answered questions, that is not. That is the antithesis of what Twitter is. So I think if we can find that balance, and by the way, you know, I'm a big believer in the power of end. So, it's Twitter and it's Facebook and it's flipthefunnelnow.com and it's email and it's, all, and it's a podcast. I'm going to start a kind of a director's commentary accompaniment podcast. So, you're going to be able to, um, every month, listen to me talking about another chapter in the book. Um, and why not? So, right. why not be able to stay with me for the ride for the next, if there are 20 chapters in the book, for the next 20 months? Why not be able to allow the book to live on and live large and essentially live forever. So the book is, if you think about it, a conversation starter, a means to an end as opposed to an end unto itself.
0: And particularly if it is discussing something that is in the early stages of reaching uh, full full flower. The uh, person who you can follow is Joe Jaffe. The book, Flip the Funnel, How to Use Existing Customers to Gain New Ones. Um, and uh, as a lead-in to your final, column, final comment, uh, Joe... Um, if somebody is looking at this book and was unaware of your two previous, uh, what should they expect to come out with at its conclusion? Why do they buy it? Who buys it? What what can their expectations be?
2: Well, you know, every, every author always says that this book is really aimed at everyone. Um, and this book really is aimed at everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but you're not every author.
2: <laughs> no. But you know you, but you know what the thing is is that large businesses um, absolutely more than anyone need to read this book. But I think smaller medium-sized businesses will be um, they'll, they'll be encouraged by the fact that what I'm telling them is something that they already knew. In a way, I'm kind of almost doing them a little disservice by sharing some of their secrets with the bigger businesses, which is the power of uh, personalization, and the power of intimacy, and the power of directness, and the power of transparency as well. Um, The beautiful thing about social media is is that it's the ultimate level of playing fields. So this book really helps anyone level the playing fields. It helps anybody that is confused or overwhelmed almost realign their priorities, see the wood for the trees, and in this particular case, it is going back to basics. It is going back to a a truth that is timeless, which is treat people well, treat them exceptionally, and they will stick around. In this case, though, with a couple of new surprising thoughts, and transformational ones, because the models and the processes and the methodology in the book, uh, I don't believe, have been done before. I mean, yes, I talk about how Barack Obama flipped the funnel, and how Zappos flips the funnel, and how countless other companies like USAA flip the funnel, and Best Buy flip the funnel. But for the most part, I'm doing a little bit of retrofitting. No company, I think, has profoundly done what I'm suggesting in the book. So if you want a competitive advantage, you know, if you want to differentiate, if you want to win by embracing the best of the old with the best of the new, uh, honestly, Flip the Funnel is for you.
0: Paul McLaughlin with Joe Jaffe, Flip the Funnel is the Book. Title uh, has as a subtext how to use existing customers to gain new ones, but it's much more than that. A number of colors of little dots on the, uh, on the funnel flipped. I like Joe Jaffe, and I've been thrilled to reconnect with him. And I'm going to read the book more thoroughly. And Joe, I'm looking forward to continuing these conversations in the uh, months ahead.
2: Yeah I appreciate the opportunity to come in and uh you know what I'm going to just uh if I can if I can leave your listeners with uh, a few interesting ideas to go Please. back to how the book will live on and and certainly you know flipthefunnelnow.com is the website and you can find out more about me at jeffyjuice.com I have even even have a video show called Jaffy Juice tv um I'm going to actually tell you about two things I'm doing that I think not only fulfill against um, I think what this book is about, but actually demonstrate to you that the book is a conversation starter. One is I launched very quietly actually yesterday two new websites. One is called I had a great com or I and uh, or IHague, and or uh, I and I had a bad experience. It's evil twin, um, which is I So you've got I Habe and I I had a great experience and I had a bad experience. I find and I've felt that there are too many horror stories. It's too easy to throw stones at glass houses and and, and companies that just don't get it. So I actually wanted to create a resource for great experiences for us as consumers, as customers to go and celebrate the companies that are actually doing a great job and be inspired by those companies as well. That's what I had a great experience is about, but at the same time, hold companies in check and that's, I had a bad experience. So I wanted to share those two websites with you. I have no idea what that will do for me, for the book, um, but I just felt that, that these two websites needed to be out there. The other thing that I'm doing, which is kind of interesting, and, and, and you know, I'm a bit of a risk taker, so I felt it was the right thing to do is, Part of what I tell companies to do is to encourage content creation, encourage reviews, incentivize customers to be able to do both of them. So what I've done in the book and what I'm doing right now is if you do buy this book, and I really hope you do, I want you to review the book. I, I challenge you to review the book. I beg you to review the book. On Amazon.com, on BarnesandNoble.com, on Borders.com, on FlipTheFunnelNow.com, on your blog, I'll find out about it. Don't worry about it, and and I'll make sure that it's all brought into FlipTheFunnelNow.com. But the whole idea is that why should this book not have? Why shouldn't this book have more reviews than Good to Great, than Harry Potter, than Twilight, than you know Three Wolf Moon, which is a great case study in the book? The whole idea is that if every one of my readers helps me by creating a piece of content, an honest, authentic review. As I've said in the book, I'd rather have an honest, authentic, four-star review than an empty five-star review. Make no mistake, I'd love a five-star review that's authentic. But the point is, if I can get 10,000 people to buy this book and 10,000 reviews, I'm gonna win. I'm gonna win because my customer is proving that retention could become the new acquisition. So I just wanted to share those final thoughts with you. And again, going back to the fact that the book is actually you know, just a seed. It's up to now my customer to ensure that the book lives forever.
0: Joe Jaffe, flip the funnel. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And my thanks to Joe Jaffe and earlier Melba Duncan, Duncan Leadership Institute. Want to be in touch with me, Paul McLaughlin. Please feel free to do so. Get you on that mailing list for the Leadership Institute Forum coming up next month. McLaughlin at Mac.com is the email. M-C-L-O-U-G-H-L-I-N at Mac, M-A-C, dot C-O-M. Hope you enjoy your work. I enjoy mine. Listen up to next time of McLaughlin at Work.